You're listening to Comedy Central. February 28, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Trevor Noah, our guest tonight, is an insanely talented musician, a super nice guy here to chat and uh, play us a song off of his new album. Gary Clark Jr. is joining us, everybody. <laughs> really, really amazing musician. Also on the show tonight, why 2019 was the worst Black History Month ever, <laughs> Roy Wood Jr. with a magical CP time, and Kim Jong-un breaks President Trump's heart. But first, let's catch up on today's headlines. Israel. It's the country that three major religions call the Holy Land. But today, the people of Israel are saying, holy crap. We have breaking news out of Israel where Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has been indicted. The Israeli Attorney General announcing that indictment, including charges of bribery and fraud. One of the allegations is that he offered regulatory benefits to a telecommunications executive for better media coverage. Another one is he offered help to a newspaper owner in exchange for better media coverage. Netanyahu allegedly accepted more than $100,000 worth of cigars and champagne from a man he gave political and business favors to. That's right. Israel's prime minister has been indicted for corruption. And look, guys, I'm all for corruption, but you have to have standards, all right? <laughs> How are you gonna be a world leader getting bribed with champagne and cigars? <laughs> such a trashy breath. That's like what poor people think right, what rich people like. It's just, I think, champagne and cigars. That's... <laughs> that's $100,000 in gifts. You realize $100,000 is what some idiot paid to go to the fire festival. You realize that, right? <laughs> you have to think bigger. And to make it worse, according to authorities, the bribes also included Mariah Carey tickets. Yeah, which I'm just like, wait, what? Because I got nothing against Mariah Carey, but now I'm picturing Benjamin Netanyahu drunk on champagne with cigars, singing along to Mariah Carey, <laughs> just like, oh, darling, because you'll always be my baby. Do 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 da. Do 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 da. <laughs> so after years of investigations, Israel has decided to indict its leader for his crimes. And after hearing that, Americans are like, uh, can our constitution convert to Judaism? Yeah, can we? <laughs> Moving on. Do you guys like uh, Girl Scout cookies? Yeah, you do? Well, everybody look under your seats. Cause I lost my AirPods earlier today. I don't know, there might be, let me know if you find them. Anyway, uh, Girl Scout cookies. Last week, there was a story that went viral out of South Carolina. Really, really sweet story. Two girls were selling cookies out in the freezing cold. And then a stranger took pity on them and bought every single box that they had. Gave them $540 in cash. Yeah, just bought everything. And most people were like, oh, that's so adorable. This is a beautiful, feel-good story. And some people were like, why did he have $500 in cash? Which turned out to be the right question. <laughs> because on Tuesday, that man was arrested for being a drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. And they say the timing was a coincidence. But if you ask me, I think the Girl Scouts were the ones who snitched. Yeah. <laughs> they were probably like, wait, he's selling on our turf? This is our corner, bitch. <laughs> This is where we sell. Watch out. Girl Scout Omar coming. 
And in our final story, shopping online. It is both the best and the worst. I mean, it's great not having to put on pants, but at least when you buy something at the store, you know what you're getting. CBSnews.com reports on an increase of fake reviews hitting major retail websites. An analysis of online customer reviews from FakeSpot found that 52% of those posted on Walmart's website are inauthentic or they're just unreliable. It found 30% of Amazon's reviews are fake. Wait, you're telling me not everything on the internet is real? <laughs> Damn, I need to warn my Nigerian prince friend who has all my credit card info. <laughs> I'll be honest with you guys, man. I was less shocked that online reviews are fake and more shocked that people actually read online reviews. <laughs> yeah, because I, I don't trust anyone who writes a review on a website. Who has the time for that? You know what I do if I like a new TV? I'll be like, this is a nice TV. And then I keep watching. That's all I do. <laughs> I don't know who's like, this is so good, I need to write a paragraph about it. <laughs> you have to log in. You have... No, I don't trust those people. I also don't trust reviews. You know where I get reviews? I get reviews from real life, all right? I judge products by how people use them in real life. That's how I get reviews. Yeah, if I see someone holding their phone like this, I don't want that phone, all right? <laughs> That's my review. Every time I drive past a car crash, the car that comes off worse, my review is, I don't want that car. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's the same reason I don't want children. Yeah, if you listen to the reviews, parents will bamboozle you. They'll bamboozle the shit out of you. They'll be like, raising a child's the most wonderful experience. It's a gift. You have to try it. Five stars. But in real life, all I see is parents chasing the little assholes around Costco, <laughs> screaming at them, Justin, Justin, I said, put that down. Put that down, Justin. I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna kill you. That's the review. All right, let's move on to today's top story. North Korea. When President Obama left office, he warned Donald Trump that Kim Jong-un's nuclear threat would be his biggest challenge. Well, that and learning to read, but mostly the <laughs> nuclear challenge. And after Trump's second summit with the North Korean snowman, it turns out Obama may have been right. Breaking news, no deal. President Trump's high-stakes nuclear talks with Kim Jong-un suddenly break down overnight. President Trump beginning an 8,000-mile journey home from Hanoi empty-handed. Sometimes you have to walk, and uh, this was just one of those times. No concessions, no deal, no final photo op. A closing ceremony scheduled to celebrate an agreement scrapped. Even lunch was canceled, with the table already set. Wow. <laughs> you know something must have gone wrong when these two turned down lunch. <laughs> wow. Although, I bet after they left the room, Kim Jong-un came back and he was like, uh, can I get this lunch to go, please? <laughs> There's a lot of hungry people in my country and I want to eat this in front of them, yeah? <laughs> but yes, after months of anticipation, nuclear talks between the US and North Korea have completely broken down. And I don't know about you, but I was shocked because my boy Trump has been telling us that he and Kim Jong-un are good. And I mean, like, real good. I mean, we have a good chemistry together. Kim Jong-un. We have a great chairman, Kim. We have a great chemistry. I like him, he likes me. The relationship is good. And we'll go back and forth. And then we fell in love, okay? No, really. He wrote me beautiful letters. And they're great letters. We fell in love. You see? You see? Trump and Kim fell in love. And I know that sounds weird, but when you think about it, Kim Jong-un is totally Donald Trump's type, right? All of Trump's best relationships are with people who are half his age and don't speak English. It works. 
That's when the relationship be best. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> and I'll be honest, I'll be honest. When this summit started, it seemed like love was still in the air. The day started with the promise of a deal to get rid of the regime's nuclear weapons. President Trump and Kim Jong-un are really enjoying their alone time. The two leaders took a walk around the pool at the historic Metropole Hotel. Kim, for the first time, took questions from the Western press. Chairman Kim, are you ready to denuclearize? If I'm not willing to do that, I won't be here right now. Oh, wow. That's right. Things are going so well that for the first time ever, Kim Jong-un took a question from the Western press, and he answered with swag. You heard him? I'm like, you, you, you plan to do it? He's like, if I wasn't planning to do it, I wouldn't be here. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's progress. Because, I mean, in North Korea, when a reporter asks him a question, his response is usually, great question, feed him to the lions! <laughs> and then feed the lions to me! They wouldn't give me that lunch to go! <laughs> so, if everything started out great, what turned their love affair sour? Well, it's the same thing that turns most relationships sour. They both just wanted different things. The U.S. was hoping for more concrete steps from Pyongyang towards a deal that is verifiable and enforceable. There was a fundamental disagreement. Kim Jong-un wants the crushing sanctions on his country lifted before dismantling his nuclear program. Basically, uh, they wanted the sanctions lifted in their entirety, and we couldn't do that. They were willing to denuke a large portion of the areas that we wanted, but we couldn't give up all of the sanctions for that. Ah, oh, man, so that's what happened. Kim wanted Trump to give everything up, but before he did, Trump wanted guarantees in exchange. Classic relationship dilemma. <laughs> yeah. Trump was like, Kim, if I'm gonna open my trade to you, then we need to make this official. Kim was like, official? Why we gotta put labels on this, baby? Huh? <laughs> We have fun. Isn't that all that matters? Remember, the, remember our trip to Singapore? Come on, man. Then was like, I know, but it's just the people are saying you're taking advantage of me. I'm always flying to you. You're never flying to me. It's like, Donnie, Donnie, baby, I told you, man, once my economy takes off, I'll be flying to you all the time, man. He's like, I just don't understand why you won't let me check your nuclear sites. He's like, oh, you don't trust me, man? You don't trust me, Donnie? I say there's no nukes. There's no nukes, man. You want to check my sites? Fine, check the sites. Donald was like, okay. Like, no, you're not going to check the sites. <laughs> There's no love without trust, Donnie. That was a test. China was right about you. I'm out. And Donald was like, no, Kim, wait. Kim. Kim. I need to build a wall around my heart. <laughs> That's how it all went down. And now, even though Kim Jong-un made Trump fly to the other side of the world for nothing, Trump still believes that they can work things out. When we walked away, it was a very friendly walk. We shook hands. We, uh, you know, there's a, there's a warmth that we have. Now, I hope that stays. I think it will. I want to keep the relationship, and we will keep the relationship. Uh, we'll see what happens over the next period of time. Oh, shame, Donald. This is so tough to watch, man. Because we've all, we've all been there. We really have all been there. You told your friends this was gonna work out. <laughs> and despite the warnings, you still carried on. And now you're trying to save face because you think everyone's judging you, which we totally are. <laughs> but instead of dragging this out, Donald, I think it's time to accept that maybe, just maybe, Kim is just not that into you. <laughs> we'll be right back.
Welcome back. My guest tonight is a Grammy Award-winning musician whose new album is called This Land. Please welcome Gary Clark Jr. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, not only are you an amazing musician, you are somebody who has managed to transcend styles of music. So many people have, have, have lauded you as honestly one of just the musicians of our time. Mm. You know, everyone from Rolling Stone to, to, to President Barack Obama to Beyonce, Jay-Z, it doesn't matter who it is, people have gone like, this man knows how to make music. What do you think it is about your music that connects with such a diverse audience? Um, you know, I gotta attribute it to where I'm from, Austin, Texas. Uh, I grew up running around on 6th Street. You could hear all kinds of stuff from jazz, blues, R&B, funk, country. Right. Um, all in one street, all in one night, seven days a week for hours and hours. And so I would just run around, you know, take my, my parents' car out. They used to call me Hotwire and just go run around <laughs> there and just, you know. Wait, your parents called you Hotwire? No, my parents, my, my Oh, my, your my boys, buddy, my, oh, I was like, damn, your parents wire. are gay. I was like, your parents were like, God damn it, Hotwire, you doing that again? <laughs> yeah. I'd be like, those are some cool parents. Yeah, um, nah. yeah you, you loved music from an early age. Yeah, sure. uh, was, there, was there something about it that connected with you? Because I mean, people love to listen to music, but you really had an innate, like a, an intimate relationship with the music, why? You know what? I'm not quite sure, but I'm still as interested as I was that day. I went to see Michael Jackson, Bad Tour, 1988-89. I was four or five years old. Right. And uh, changed my life. You know, I never felt that type of energy. I never seen that type of excitement. You know, musicians tight, expressing themselves, pushing out this energy. It was something that I wanted to be a part of. I wanted to be inside of it and figure out how it worked. You You, you, you really have done that in many ways with your music. You know, people have talked about how uh, your music takes people on a journey. The, the way you command your instruments, particularly. What I found interesting is I've seen you many times say that you, you don't want to be labeled as a guitar player. You, you, you're a lover of all music. Why do you shy away from that label? Um, I just, I don't, I don't want people to expect a certain thing. I've right. been doing a lot of things musically since I was a kid. Since my dad had a Casio keyboard, I was making beats and I've had drum machines and I got trumpets and saxophones and I got a bagpipes for no reason. I just like music, <laughs> you know what I mean? I just like anything that makes noise and I want to figure it out. Well, that's what bagpipes do, yes, I mean. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to find a place to practice. Can you play them at all? N- no. I don't oh, even know, I don't even know how it works. I don't think anyone can, actually. I think it's just like a scam, and then the people blow it, and everyone's like, I think that's how they sound? I, I don't know. I but, have no idea. Yeah, but you, you, you really love all of the music, and th- this album, and, and the music that you've made here are particularly interesting, because you've always said as an artist, you're not the kind of person who's overtly trying to push, push a message, but this land, uh, the album and the title track, specifically speak about America and how you see it today. What inspired the song and what inspired the title of the album? Uh, what inspired the song was basically, uh, it was that time, 2015, 2016, elections were coming up. There was all kinds of stuff happening in the world. Uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick and just, you know, that situation and being black and from Texas. Right. You know, I had a certain situation where I moved into some property and, um, you know, someone came up to me questioning if I was the owner of the house or not. And, and it just made me flash back to, being a kid and, and, you know, being called names and, and uh, being, you know, somebody making me try to feel like I was less than or not right. equal to. And um, it was just kind of sad. I got kids now and I just, it was, 
trying to write this album and I, I wanted to be very genuine about what I wanted to express and that was everything, all the emotions. And unfortunately, in this day and age, I still have situations that make me feel like that. And so I just you know, put it on an album. It's interesting because one thing I've always known about you and your music and even your messages, you've always been one of those people who, who's all about preaching love. Like, you know, you've always, you've always spoken about energies. What Trying you put to. out, yeah, man, what you put out into the world, you've always got that mellow vibe. And when I first met you, I was like, oh, that's just because he smokes a lot of weed. But then, <laughs> but then I realized it was that and the fact that, no, but that, that's, that's genuinely who you are as a person. You, you, you're all about that love. Was it hard for you to write music that, that comes from a place of love but still deals with the issues of hate? Was it hard for me? No, it, it actually wasn't. It was, uh, it was, it was something that was easy. Right. You know, it's just part of the human experience. And uh, I approached it like anything else. And uh, it, it just came to me just like that. I didn't think about it too much. I wasn't trying to, you know, hit anything in particular. It was just how I felt my perception. And that's what I've been doing for a long time. I think if you go back to my albums, Black and Blue and the story of Sonny Boy Slim, my title track of Black and Blue is, you know, touches on this subject a little bit. Right, right. You know, I think it catches people's attention, attention a little bit more when you throw the N-word and a few F-bombs in it. It's something that you've done, and it's interesting because, you know, one of the reviews I read about your music really encapsulated what I felt when I listened, and that was that you're not using these words in a gratuitous way. You're really using them to encapsulate the feeling of what you're experiencing. When, you know, some people, because obviously it's not the same as hip hop where the N-word is just thrown around. It, it, it literally is you going, this is here for a purpose. This is here for a feeling and a moment. Um, when you're writing your music, are you trying to get people to feel what you were feeling when you experienced the story you're telling? I was trying to get myself to actually, genuinely, honestly feel the way that I was feeling and express that. Right. You know, and uh, I tried running back the edited version and it just didn't have that fire. It's uncomfortable, uh -huh. it's, it's, it, it's, it's fierce, it's, uh, it's just ugh. And it's, you can't express, I couldn't, for me, I couldn't express it any other way at the time. You know? Right. I mean, I maybe could have, but that's just what we got. That's what makes you an artist, man. Thank you so much, Andy. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.